0: Morning, You guys doing well? Ready for Christmas? Woo. How many uh, how many are ready for Christmas? Show of hands? Okay. Not very many. How many are not ready for Christmas? That's most of us. How many like me don't really have much to do to get ready for Christmas? My wife does everything? Praise God for that. Woo! Just show up. Smile. if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 27, Acts chapter 27. This is our second to our last in this uh, teaching series in the book of Acts. How it changes everything has been our teaching series. We started Easter, and we'll be wrapping it up next weekend. As we've worked our way through the book of Acts, this morning's title is Weathering Life Storms. And let me begin by saying that you are either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or will soon be going into... A storm. It's just a matter of time. And so my question for you this morning would be, are you ready for life's storms? Are you prepared for life's storms? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, at the end of his very extensive teaching, one of the greatest sermons ever preached, at the end of that sermon, he says this. He says, those that hear my words and obey them are like the person who builds his life or his house upon the... You remember how the story goes? Upon the what? Upon the rock. And then he says, not if the storms, but when the storms come, what happens to that house that's built on the rock? It's rock solid. It's solid. In fact, he even says when the storms rage, devastating storms, that home, that life is still standing. Now, keep in mind, this is the person that heard his words and then obeyed them. And then he contrasts that with the person who hears his words but doesn't obey. And he is like a person who builds his house or his life upon what? Anybody? Sand, yeah. And when the storms rage, what happens to the house or the life? It, It just says it's devastated. It's wiped out. So this is what I find interesting: is that not it's not whether or not you hear God's word. It's do you obey God's word? Are you do you have a relationship with God that when you come in here, it's just not about hearing God's word? Because you could be like that person that's building their house upon the sand. You could come in week in and week out and be like building your house upon sand, and when the storms rage, which they will, you will be devastated. You could be just checking the church box, going through the motions. But he's he's really saying that those who have who come to church, who read their Bible, who pray, who hear his words and obey them, that they have this relationship with God, that he's at the center of their lives. That when the storms rage, you are going to be rock solid. You will be unshakable and breakable by life's storms, weathering life's storms. I've been around the church, uh, wow, well, my whole life, and. Uh, And I've seen a lot of people come and go, and I've seen those that have defected from the faith. How many have ever seen someone defect from the faith? And some of you did that and even came back. But there are two reasons why people defect from the faith. One is that they are deceived by the pleasures of life. Now, listen to me. Let me me start off before we head into our text. Let me just be straight up with you. Everybody look up here. There is nothing, absolutely nothing in creation that can satisfy you like the Creator. And so if you're chasing after anything other than God pursuing Him, you're going to crash and burn. There is nothing that even comes close to the satisfaction you can find in God. Nothing comes close, not even the Cardinals beating the Cowboys. Can can you believe that, huh? Huh? Was that good or what? And uh, that was something worth celebrating there, right there. Any cowboy fans in the house? Oh gee. There were like like three of you in the first service, so why don't you just start coming to the first service, okay? But uh, no hey, 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 hey. Where's the ushers? This guy gee. That was a good whipping when the Cardinals beat the Cowboys. Praise God. Now, where were we? Satisfaction in God. Yeah, not only not even that or anything, anything can satisfy you. And if you think there is, you're being deceived. And that's how people defect from the faith. They're, they're, they're being deceived by the pleasures of life. There's a second way that people defect in that they are disillusioned by the pain or the problems or the pressures of life. And, uh, and the reason for that is that if you are coming to God to get from Him rather than to be with Him, you're going to be disillusioned because He always won't give you what you want. He will always give you what you need. And at some point in your life, you will be disillusioned and you will be shaking your fist at God. Because as you hear us around here say all the time, that's not Christianity. It's not about using God. He is not a means to an end. Because he won't, get you, he won't get you the end that you think that you can't live without. He makes a wonderful end. There's no doubt about it. But as you've heard us say here, is that we do not follow God because he makes life better. We follow him because he's better than life. Oh my goodness, why would you ever substitute him for something in creation? I mean, why would you do that? Why would we ever do that? We do that because we are deceived and we become disillusioned and we come to God and and it's being taught in America today that, hey, come to God. He's a means to an end. Make him a part of your life. No, 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 no. He is the end. And to live for his glory is the best way to live. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So those are the two ways... The people defect from the faith. And so it's important that we know how to weather life's storms. That's where we're headed with our study here today. Before we dive into our text, pretty extensive text. We're going to work through this answering two questions. What is true about life storms? And then how do you weather life storms? We'll walk through that. And the text is going to give us a lot of great answers to those two questions. But before we do that, would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. And let's pray. And... Uh, Let's once again ask God to, to meet us here through our Bible study. Father in heaven, your Son, our Savior Jesus, is the Lord of all storms, as was proved when he was with his disciples in the storm, Matthew 8, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And I pray for those this morning who are, who are going through a physical or emotional, or relational, or a financial, or a spiritual storm. Let, let, Let me just take a moment here this morning. And if that's you, you're going through a storm in one of those areas that I just mentioned, just show of hands, because I want to pray for you specifically. Show of hands real quick. Yep, all over this place. So God, you saw the hands. You know their hearts. You know what they need. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters here that are going through Physical, emotional, relational, financial, spiritual storms, that you would calm the storms in their life or calm your child, your children in those storms. Either way, God, teach us how to trust your loving, wise control of our lives. And may we marvel and say, as your disciples did after you calmed the storm. What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? God, because we know that if we fear you, we will fear no storm. So open the eyes of our hearts so that we can gaze upon your beauty and your glory. As our hearts are filled with your love and that perfect love chases away every fear. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said... Amen. Take a look at the text here. 27, Acts 27. I'm not going to read the first eight verses. Let me summarize those very quickly. In fact, let me summarize the, the book of Acts. If you haven't been with us, just so you know what Acts is all about. Summary verses found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, literally martyrs. And you will go from Jerusalem, that's where they lived, to Judea, kind of their backyard. Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. First eight chapters of the book of Acts is really about them going throughout Jerusalem. There's 120 of them. And then it became like 3,000 and then 5,000. And it's just like wild flat fire spreading throughout Jerusalem. They were excited, a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. God was doing a powerful thing, but they didn't want to leave their holy huddle. And so what did God do? He brought persecution. And from chapter 8 on, we see the, the church scattering from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And then when we hit chapter 13, we've got, we enter, we're entered into kind of, a new, kind of a new part of the story. And that's where they go throughout the world. And it's primarily through the work and the ministry of the apostle Paul. Because you see in chapter 9, we see that this Paul, who, who, who was Saul, who persecuted the church... He encounters Christ, and his life is revolutionized. I mean, it's changed, crazy, unbelievable. He goes from persecuting the church, killing Christians, to proclaiming Christ, even to, with his very life. And so from chapters 13 on, you got Paul's three missionary journeys, and then he's apprehended. He's thrown in prison, false accusations, and you got these three trials. And the book kind of ends with him going through these trials, and now we're in this place where they're going to send him to Rome. So he's on this boat ride to Rome, and uh, verses 1 through 8, Paul and other prisoners have boarded a cargo ship headed for Rome to face trial. By the way, let me just say that what you're going to see in this story, and and as we wrap it up next week, we're going to talk about the gates of hell won't prevail, That Paul even writes about it in Philippians 1, that though he's chained, the gospel is not chained because the gospel continues uh, to go throughout the world. And so no matter what is going on, Paul knows that God is still using him whether he's in prison or out of prison, Because his life is about God's glory, as we will see in this story, and particularly even at the end of the story of the book of Acts next week in chapter 28. So Paul and other prisoners have boarded a cargo ship headed for Rome to face trial. The route taken is following the coastline. That's what we see in the first eight verses of chapter 27. They're kind of following the coastline, going through southern Greek islands. And what should have been a dream Mediterranean cruise becomes a nightmare on the sea. Of course, I don't know what... You know, if it was much of a dream cruise, they were prisoners. But the fact is, is that the sights and the sounds of of what they could have saw on this trip would have been wonderful. But there was there was a storm that hit them and really devastates them. And what's interesting about the story is that Paul, in the midst of this storm, though a prisoner, has unbelievable poise, peace and perseverance and even shows a great deal of leadership in the midst of this storm, as we can, too, if we understand where he has his eyes fixed upon and who he is ultimately living for. And so let me begin reading verse 9, chapter 27. Since much time had passed, so they're on this boat headed towards Rome, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast... He's talking about the Day of Atonement. We know uh, on the calendar that this is in the month of October, about October the fifth, and we know that this is during the time when they had a lot of treacherous storms on the Mediterranean Sea, so the fast was already over. Paul advised them well listen to what he says, saying, "Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only the cargo and the ship but also our lives. Stop there just for a minute let 's talk about this just to just a bit. I think that Paul, as you're going to see, I think Paul was operating maybe with some sort of a gift of, of discernment, but maybe a word of knowledge or kind of a prophetic gift because he knows what's going to happen to them. He knows what's coming his way, which, by the way, uh, God does give people th- these gifts. There are gifts and they're noted in First Corinthians chapter 12. That there are people that have discernment gifts or have this ability to kind of see and foresee into the future sometimes to give us forewarning. Sometimes God will do that through dreams and visions and ideas and thoughts just to prepare us for what's around the bin. Just so that we kind of know that we have kind of a heads up. That's what Paul is doing here. We've got this book right here to give us forewarning of what we will face in life. And so that's what Paul is doing. But notice this. Do they listen to him? No, verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. And you can kind of understand that because here's the owner. And this is the guy, the the captain of the ship. This is is the guy that, he's gonna be the pilot. So I'm gonna listen to, you know, I'm gonna listen more to to him and these guys than I will Paul, which by the way, you need to also keep in mind that uh, knowledge is no substitute for wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have wisdom knowing how to appropriately apply that knowledge, then you're out to lunch. I mean, you're not going to make it. And so you kind of get a little bit of a lesson there in that. I think it's it's wise that God will bring people around you in your life who will speak some truth to you that you probably need to heed. Certainly you filter it through the Bible to make sure that it's truly God speaking to you. And so that's what we have in the story here. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, because it's always warm in Phoenix, and that's a great place to... Oh, yeah, it is actually here too, but there also (laughs) in Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. A lot of people spend the winter here, but that was a great place to spend the winter. And so, let me give you the first fill-in-the-blank on your notes: What is true about life? Storms. Storms are inevitable. Therefore, don't be paranoid or passive, but be prepared. Now, nowhere in the Scripture does God tell us that once we commit our life to Him, that everything is going to be a bed of roses. Everything is going to be just perfect for us. It doesn't say that. In fact, I gave you a number of verses there. John seventeen thirty-three. Jesus told his disciples, this was uh, about the night before he was betrayed and he would be hanging on the cross, he said, in this world you will face problems. Uh, He just, he was straight up with them. That's what I love about the gospel, that's what I love about the Bible, is that the Bible just says, guess what, life's going to be really, really hard. In fact, it might even be harder because of the fact that you've made a commitment to me. (laughs) In fact, it says that those that live godly lives will suffer persecution. It's not maybe, but will. Life will be difficult. The Bible makes it very clear. We know that even as believers it's going to be difficult because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that this whole society, the values of this society are the antithesis of God's values. And uh, we have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You've got got a target on you if you're a follower of Jesus. And then you're having to grapple with your own sinful nature. So we've got all of those issues working against us. But James 1, 2, and this is an interesting one. He actually says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing this. Let's stop right there just for a minute. Count it all joy? You've got to be kidding. I just got diagnosed with cancer. Or I just lost my job. Or uh, my wife just left me. Or I haven't been able to find a job in six to eight months. We, we lost our house. We, our kids have gone south. We did everything we could but... Count it all joy? You've got to be kidding. No, that's what he says. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing this, knowing this, that the trying of your faith Produces patience, so let patience have its perfect work in you so that you might be complete and perfect, not lacking anything. Do you hear what he's saying? It's through the trials, it's through the difficulties that God is building into your life to get you to a place to where you are going to be unshakable, unsinkable in life storms. You will have a maturity. And and so that's that's part of what he says here. And then he says in 1 Peter 4.12, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're facing as if there's some strange thing happening. He's saying, Why are you, why, I mean, why is that the first thing? When bad things happen, isn't that what we often say? It's like, Where, where are you, God? What? Where are you in this? And he's saying, Well, don't do that. That, is, that. That's inconsistent with what he's already warned us about. Now, there are a couple of extremes in dealing with life storms that we, uh, if we don't, if, first of all, they're inevitable, but in dealing with them, we can become paranoid or passive, and both of these will, will exacerbate the storms in our lives. So They'll just make it worse. And being paranoid is—you're just taking too much human responsibility. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? He talked about storms this morning, and what are we going to do? There's going to be a storm. I know there's going to something. Something's going to happen. So you become all paranoid, looking around every corner, and trying to do everything you can. And we're going to save up fifty billion rolls of toilet paper. That's what we're going to do, just in case we run out. Oh my goodness. I mean that's what drives that OCD kind of that storing up stuff, afraid we're not gonna ever have it. Oh Jill! Oh my goodness! See, you're not see that's you're taking too much responsibility. You're not leaning on divine authority, God's sovereignty. But don't go the other way. Because you're gonna probably need some toilet paper one of these days. Okay. So, I mean, it's good to have a couple of rolls around the house. I don't know why I even use that as an illustration. You just never know what I'm going to say up here sometimes. But, but I mean, that's just kind of an illustration. So, we can kind of go the other extreme. You still have to take some responsibility. You have to be prepared. I'm in a Bible study group on uh, Tuesday morning, 630, if you want to go, guys. It's, it's for men there over at the church offices. It's really a fun Bible study group. The guys do a really good job. I'm just along for the ride and kind of study with them. It's... It's a lot of fun right now. They're studying through the book of Daniel. And it's interesting that we're in chapter 6 and Daniel gets getting ready to be thrown in the lion's den. Here's the interesting thing about Daniel. Daniel didn't start praying before, didn't start praying because of the lion's den. He had already been praying, therefore wasn't afraid of the lion's den because his God was greater. It was almost kind of like, I've been hanging out with God and so you're going to throw me in a lion's den? You got anything better than that? Come on. I mean, that, I mean that's kind of his attitude. It's kind of like, do you know how big God is? Like, I'm his servant. See, it kind of gives you a whole new perspective. It's interesting. And so what he had been doing is that he's storing up this spiritual equity, just as you need to store up financial equity. You know, we talk about the 10, 10 80 rule where you need to have a savings account because you never know when you're going to need some tires on that car. They're wearing out or you need to change the oil, or you need to get a new car, or you need to get a new refrigerator, or any number of things, you're going to have those reserves, that equity to draw on. And so it is in, in God's economy uh, that you need to be storing up spiritual equity. And I hope that that's what you're doing here today. That this isn't just a check the church box gig, that you are encountering God, and therefore you are seeing just how great and wonderful and big God is, that you're captivated by his grace and his love, and you know that he is more than enough, so that when you go out of here, you can face down any lion, any storm, any difficulty, and, uh, and that's important. Uh, let's continue reading verses 13 through 15 in this story because it gets, it gets good here. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous um, wind called the northeaster. Struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught. Now notice this. This is interesting. Because the ship almost. They're trying to. They're using the sail. And trying to work through it. But the ship gets caught by this. Almost like a hurricane forces. And could not face the wind. We gave way to it. And we were driven along. Like, well, the, the, the storm just took over the ship. As oftentimes when we go through storms. They just kind of take over our lives. We become consumed by those storms. And that's a little bit of the idea here. Next uh, thing on your notes is that storms can seemingly come out of nowhere. It just all of a sudden it comes up. They're sailing along. It just comes. It just hits you. Just kind of broadsides you. That's that's what how storms often work. Now let me ask you this. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? This brings up some questions about what causes storms. Why do we go through difficulties? And so, and the big question, that oftentimes people will ask, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Because I have a friend over there and they, they really tried to live a really good life and man, they just got knocked sideways. He got cancer, his wife left him, you know, all these things that they'll come up with. So why why is that true? Why do bad things happen to good people? And my answer to that has always been, there are no good people. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. See, we live in an at, we live in an atmosphere of entitlement. Uh, some of you guys don't like this. I was just uh, Joe Bridgewater over here. I love the guy, but this is what this is how he responds. And initially, when he responded to me like this, this is totally off the notes. I just because you said this to me just as I was walking out, I was thinking about this. And I just asked him, "How are you doing?" He goes, "Better than I deserve." And immediately, we all most of us go, "Oh no, you deserve much more, Joe. Come on, Joe." Praise God, you're a good guy. And he would go, no, no. I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. But he loved me so much, he wanted to die for me. And all that I have is by God's grace. And I thank him so much for that, but it's way better than I deserve. See, when you understand the cross, that's your response. But see, we live in America today because you hear the commercials, oh, I deserve better than this. I've worked really hard. Uh, No, you don't. No, because you really don't understand your sinfulness, do you? that's the reason why we need storms sometimes to kind of reveal that to us, to kind of wake us up a little bit to the reality of that. And initially it really bothered me when he would say that, but now I've kind of like, it's because I'm so, it's because my thinking is contrary to what the Bible actually teaches. I'm so Americanized in my thinking. And so uh, there really are no good people. And whatever we get is all by God's grace. The Bible makes that. So anything uh, that you're getting right now is a whole lot better than hell. I probably didn't like the way I said that. When I kind of leaned into it, I like, hell? <laughs> I like think I had too much caffeine this morning. <laughs> what the heck? So, uh, but it's true. It's really true. It's true. The Bible says, for all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, that's the reality of it. And anything better than, you know, better than hell is, wow, that's God's grace. That's pretty cool. And that's really a great attitude. And I appreciated him kind of helping to sharpen me in that and take me back to the scripture to understand God and his grace for my life. But there are two reasons, two common shallow reasons for storms. And this is how we hear people respond. Well, you're going through a storm right now? Religious moralists typically will respond, well, you're not living right. Because let me tell you something. If you would just live more like me, because I have it all together. And if you had memorized as many verses as that I had memorized, you wouldn't have all the storms in your life. So start memorizing verses and reading the Bible and doing. And I'm not. There's nothing wrong with that. That's really good stuff. But don't think that you can earn God's blessing. You have God's blessing. So the Bible's not. The Bible's against effort. Uh, is against earning. Not against effort, it's against achievement, not against action. Certainly you do these things to increase your capacity to experience more of what God has already provided for you. And certainly there's some important things to do. But when someone says you're not living right, you can do all the right things and still have bad things happen because we live in a fallen world. And you have an adversary. My goodness sakes, I've seen people do everything they could to raise their kids right and their kids go south. Fast. And I looked at them and I thought, you guys were like model parents. I've seen people, you know, save up money and do really good financially. And this economy just knocked them sideways. Oh my goodness. So you can do all the right things and still have bad things happen because we live in a fallen world. Always take that into consideration. Always remember that. Don't give someone the shallow answer, oh, you must not be living right. Because you can live right and still have bad things happen. It's important for us to keep that in mind. You got examples throughout the scripture. You got Job. You got Joseph. You got Daniel. I mean, these guys were all doing what, what they needed to do. And they, were, they faced terrible times, difficult times. Here's the second uh, shallow way that we respond is kind of the irreligious relativist. There is no God, therefore you can live however you want to live. That's not true. Here's the answer. There is a God. He has a divine order. And if you break this divine order, you'll suffer the consequences. It's called sowing and reaping. I put it there on your notes. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Wait a minute, Pastor Ray. You just said you could do all the right things and still have bad things happen. Yes, I did. But you still need to do the right thing, regardless of what that might produce. So you still have to live and live according to his divine order and hope for the sowing and reaping and that your crops don't get wiped out. But if they do, he is better than life and he can take the bad and work it for your good. But don't fall prey to either way. Be responsible and ask, ask, ask God, God bless all that I'm doing, but ultimately I surrender to you and whatever happens, may I get through this for your glory, and ultimately I know you're working for my good. Here's the next point in your notes. Storms can drastically change the direction of our lives. I mean, this ship is just being driven. Hudson Taylor put it this way, it's not how great the pressure is, but where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or presses you near his heart. Psalm 119, 67 in seventy one this is what it says. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm one nineteen, seventy one. It is good for me that I was afflicted. What? It was good for you that you was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Do you hear what he's saying? It was that was a good thing. It was a good thing I went through that storm because, man, now I now I learn your statutes. I'm curious here, how many have, uh, you would have never, you wouldn't be sitting here today and you wouldn't be following God if it hadn't been for the storms in your life. Show of hands. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's most of us. Did you know that? See, Johnny Erickson Tata, who, uh, she's a phenomenal woman, very godly woman. When she was 16 years old, jumped into a shallow lake and became a quadriplegic and and she had a lot of hard times with that. She tried to commit suicide, and then eventually she uh, she accepted it and began to have an encounter with God that was unlike most. And uh, and she would tell you to this day that she would look you in the eyes and say, "I would rather be in this wheelchair, knowing God, than outside of this wheelchair and not know Him, because that's how big God is to me." There's a guy sitting right here in a wheelchair, Rich Wilson and his beautiful bride, Jean. And um, he's one of our elders here. And this guy has been in a wheelchair for most of his life. And if you get a chance to get to know him, because he's part of our eldership, he has this—he uh, a, great, a great deal of wisdom and insight. But having been in a wheelchair, he has unbelievable empathy and, and compassion for people that I don't have, that I rely on when we're working through the issues of, of this church. And he has, a, he has a relationship with God that I have relied on and looked to because of that. Because of that. And it's because of the pain and the, and the stuff that he's gone through. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Um, a lot of times people, when they go through difficulties, they think, well, where's God in all of this? If God loved me... If God loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. No, because he loves you, you are going through this because he would much rather sacrifice your temporal for your eternal. And if you really knew how much he loved you, you could face any storm. So it's a matter of really understanding his love and living in the reality of his love. And uh, and so uh, that's what's happening. I mean, this this storm has just taken this boat and it's just... It's going crazy, and uh, storms can drastically change the direction of our lives. Let's continue reading verses uh, 16 through 20. Let's continue on. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat... After hoisting it up, so they'd actually get the boat out of the water, they hoist it up, they used supports to undergird, undergird the ship. So they're kind of putting uh, supports around the ship. The ships fall apart in the storm. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison cargo. They're dumping cargo. It's like, this is so such a terrible storm. It's like hurricane out in the middle of the Mediterranean. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Some of you right here feel that way. You have actually gone to that, right to the brink. It's like, ah, it's over. What are we going to do? I'm dying, it's finished. And I'm telling you, it isn't over until he says it's over. And then he's going to bring you home. And that's unbelievably glorious. But he's in control, he's the Lord of the storm. He knows exactly what he's doing. And you can trust his loving wife's control. I look over this audience today, and there's a number of you going through storms. I look at the Pettits right here. It's amazing what I've seen happen in your lives as you've gone through this storm. I and mean, I, see, I see you guys like Paul here as he's enduring this. You know, I think of, of, of Janet and Bob you know, Jones over here and what, what she's been through. Unbelievable. You're like Paul in the midst of your storm. I mean, he's like, talk about poise and patience and perseverance and peace. Unbelievable. I mean, I look out over this audience and it's amazing. There are people here. That, one of the reasons why you want to be in a small group is because you want to go with these people through these storms to see what God is doing in their life so you can be a part of that. And you can learn from them. And they have some unbelievable insight and wisdom. And, and as they're going through this, you can also support them. But they're going to, many times, they're going to be greater support to you. I've seen that. That's what Paul is. Paul is doing that to the folks that are going through this storm with him. So, I mean, they lost all hope. And so here's the next point in your notes. Storms reveal the condition of our lives. I mean, this boat's falling apart, so it kind of tells us a little bit about our lives. So they had to undergird the ship. 1 Peter 1, 7 uh, it says, storms, storms reveal the genuineness. 1 Peter one seven really tells us that storms reveal the genuineness of our faith. And, and I love how it puts it. And then it says, which is more precious than gold. That if you put your faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter. There's nothing on this planet that compares to having faith in Him and having Him in your life and walking with Him and living for Him and enjoying Him. He says it's more precious than gold. And actually, it, it just purifies that gold and makes it shine more and puts more on display. This, this. If I do well when all is well, that says nothing to the world around me. But if I do well when all else is falling and failing, then indeed is my life a witness to the world. It puts this gold on display. When I'm going through difficulties, it's more precious than gold. Not only that, it's uh, it. It not only reveals the genuineness of your faith. We say, let's let's face it. You can have faith when everything's going well. What about when you're through a storm and you lose all hope? All hell breaks loose in your life. Do you still have faith then? And it actually reveals also the object of our faith, what we've ultimately given our hearts to. We suffer in direct proportion to the degree we build our lives on primarily anything or anyone more than Christ. See, suffering's relative. Really, in a lot of ways. I mean, I, this last year, unbelievable storms throughout America. Uh, Joplin, Missouri. What a devastating uh, storm in that in that region. And it was interesting. And with all the storms, they said there was almost a thousand, about a thousand people that were killed in, in storms in America this last within this last year. One of the worst years in, in our history. And as they go around and interview people, I was always, I'm always kind of uh, amazed at how some people. Are just devastated, their house is in shambles. And then other people are almost kind of like, man, I just thank God I'm still alive. And I got my family here. And so what makes a difference? What makes a difference is what are you putting your hope in? If you put your hope in your home or stuff or things or, or whatever, and that is being threatened, jeopardized, lost through a storm, so goes your identity, so goes your hope, so goes your love, so goes your peace. So that's why suffering is somewhat somewhat relative. Suffering reveals what I've given my heart to. When those things I have made my world are in jeopardy, then suffering is big in my life. But if I center my life upon Christ, and yeah, those things are important, but they're secondary to the more important Relationship—the most important relationship in our life—is God. That He will see me through those storms. We'll talk about that. How we focus on Him in a little bit. Let's continue to work through, through this. So storms reveal the condition of our lives. Storms can bring a needed change of values. How many have found that to be true? I mean, you've heard me say this before. It's a little bit like a kind of a bumper sticker th- thing that you've heard before, or you know, it's kind of a slogan. But it's still true. Is that? Uh, not too many people on their deathbed wish that they had worked more overtime, okay? It's just, it, people, don't, people don't think like that. It's not something that they haven't uh, given much thought. It changes our value. They're jettisoning their cargo. And then it also says that the ship's tackle. I mean, they're throwing that overboard. I was on my way home from a funeral a number of years ago, and I'll never forget this. It really stood out in my mind. On the bumper sticker, excuse me, that it said, life is a bitch and then you die. And that's true if you don't know Jesus. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And no matter how bad it gets, if you have Jesus he is more than enough no matter what you face and if it takes your life praise god you are with him for all eternity i mean that's that's the perspective the bible gives us so it really comes down to values begin to rearrange or storms can bring needed change of values of what hey what's really important here well, I can tell you what's really important, to live as Christ, to die as game. Don't chase after all the stuff that you, we typically chase after in this world. It's all, gonna, it's all gonna burn up anyway. You can't take any of that stuff with you and all that overtime or whatever you're doing to pursue the, the money or whatever it is that you're doing, it's not gonna last. That's not what satisfies you. It's only he that satisfies you. So invest your life into him and into one another in helping others to see more of him. It's the best thing you can do with your life. It's interesting you know, uh, when that Titanic movie came out in, uh, how long ago was that? It was about 10 years ago, in the mid-90s or something like that. And there was a lot of articles that came out, and I read some of the articles. Actually, we have somebody that's a part of our our church that was, uh, no, not on the Titanic. It was way too long ago. <laughs> it was actually Karen Fameli's, uh grandmother was a little girl that came over in her life. She... Obviously, she survived it because Karen's here. And uh, that's her grandmother that survived that uh, Titanic. She's got a really an interesting letter from her grandmother having survived that and gone through that. when She was a little girl and went through that. But it was interesting when you read the articles is that when they knew that, that that boat was going down, that boat was a very wealthy boat had a lot of gold and silver and stuff on there. People weren't grabbing the gold and silver. They were grabbing, grabbing like apples and oranges and things like that because it was a shift in values. Not only that, when that boat was out there, They were saying things like, not even God could sink this ship. And I'll tell you what, when that ship was going down, they were crying out to God. They were going, oh, God, help. And so there's a major shift in values. Here's the next point on your notes. Storms can bring us to an end of ourselves and to the beginning of God. And uh, God's, God's address is at the end of the rope. Storms have a way of teaching what nothing else can. I didn't realize that God was all I needed until he was all I had. And um, this is what I've, what I've seen in my own life, is that the darkness of storms reveals more clearly the radiance, the radiance of his face. And I wouldn't trade it for Anything but I had to go through the storm to see him more clearly because I have, like you, so much idolatry in my heart and I give my heart to so many things other than Jesus. So it gave great opportunity to do that and so it's when we're at the end of ourself, oh my goodness, we come gloriously to the beginning of God and to an experience with God that otherwise we would never have. That's the reason why I want to hang out with people that have gone through Difficulties. I want to hang out with people that walk with a limp because they're going to have some wisdom, they're going to have insight, they're going to have an experience with God that most of us aren't going to have. And uh, it's pretty amazing uh, when we go through those kind of losses. I keep people's, mind, uh, people's names pop in my mind as I look out over this audience. I see my, my aunt and uncle back there who lost a, a grandson this last year. It's devastating. But I saw God working in their lives. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I see God's work in your son's life, my cousin's, my cousin's life. And I see God working in the midst of that. That's devastating. I mean, I look out over this audience. There's so much, so many people have gone through a lot of difficulties. And yet I see the gold, the relationship that you have with God that's better, better than gold. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing what God's doing. So, how do we do this? How how do you weather life storms? Let's continue reading verses twenty one through twenty three. And uh, he says, since they had been without food for a long time, so they couldn't eat. How many have ever been on a? Uh, how many have ever been on a boat where Nancy and I went on a cruise a number of uh, years ago? It was our thirtieth wedding anniversary. Somebody bought it for us, which was really cool. And uh, but we hit the end of a hurricane, the back end of a hurricane, and the, and the waves were about fifteen to sixteen. Uh, feet high. And so there was a few nights that we couldn't sleep and we were both nauseated and couldn't hardly eat. Yes, they have those big buffets, but you are not hungry for those buffets. These guys didn't have a buffet and, but they just couldn't eat. And, uh, so since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them. I love this. This is good. And and said, men, you should have listened to me. Um, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. My wife says that to me every day. I'm kidding. I say that to her too. Sometimes we need to hear that. I told you so. We need to have people in our life that say, I told you so. Let's, let's learn to work together on this. But, uh, and I don't think that he's doing it to rub their nose into it. I think he's got some insight. He's, gonna, he's building credibility here. And he's going to give them some more insight because he's going to say, Hey, listen to this. Check this out. So Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. What? You mean to tell me we're going to be okay, but this ship's going to be gone real soon? What? That doesn't make much sense. We're going to be okay. Tell us, tell us, Paul. Are we going to be okay and the ship's going? The ship's just going to disintegrate? What? Yeah, that's exactly what he says. He said, you guys are going to be okay, but this ship's gone. What are we going to do? I mean, it doesn't almost seem like it would bring much hope, but but he goes on and he says, uh, where were we? Verse Okay, then verse 23. For this very night, this is good. Oh my goodness. This very night, there stood before me an angel of the God. Now, notice this. If you could get this, if you could just take this verse and you could begin to get this deep into your heart, what Paul had, you can sustain, you can get through any storm. This is why I said, to whom I belong and whom I worship. God showed up to me, and this is the one. My life is in his hands I'm cool. Why am I at peace? My life's in his hands. He calls the shots. I, I believe in his loving, wise control of my life. And not only that, I'm here to serve him. My life is not about me. So, whether I'm on a ship, in prison, it doesn't matter. I'm going to live for his glory. I don't have to be in some plush hotel somewhere. I can live for his glory any place, anytime, anywhere. That's what he's saying because I'm serving him. See, that's why we really got to get our purpose down. We got to understand, what's the purpose of life anyway? When you get it off of you and get it on him, that's where you're going to find unbelievable satisfaction. That's what he's saying here. Let me give you, the, give you as we work through this, so how, how to weather life's storms. One of my favorite stories is found in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. It's the it's story where uh, they're kind of weathering a storm. They're trying to get across uh, the, the, the Sea of Galilee, the disciples, and here comes Jesus walking on the water, and they freak out, and then they find out it's Jesus, and then Peter asks if he can come out to him, and then Peter walks on the water. Anybody familiar with the story? Pretty cool story. Until Peter does what as he's walking on the water. He goes where? He goes snorkeling. Yeah, and why did he go snorkeling? Because he stopped looking at Jesus and started looking at the wind and the waves. It actually says that. He started, he got distracted. Oh, <laughs> What am I going to do? Well, don't, and I think it's a great lesson on... So what do we do? How do we weather life storms? We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't look at the wind and the waves. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And as long as you do that, you can walk above the storm. You can get through that storm. Fix your eyes on him. And so the first one is here, the presence. These are all P words. One, two, three, four, five P words. The presence of God. Fix your focus on God's presence. To enjoy and benefit from His presence, you have to learn to be fully present. I work through the Psalms once a month, all of them, 150 of them, five a day. A couple days ago, I was working through Psalm 46.1, and this is what it says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then in verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. I don't think that until you learn to be still and know that he is God, until you step out, the message puts it this way, step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at me, your high God. Until you start doing that more, you're not going to have that that objective truth become a hard experience of Psalm 46.1 in your life. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. If you had any idea who it is that walks through your day with you, you wouldn't stress out like you do. But you've got to spend time and be still and know that he is God. You've got to have those moments of of engaging and interacting and talking and experiencing and allowing the truth of God's word to be driven deep into your heart. Verse 24, and he said, this is continuing this, he's talking about what God said to him, that is Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Isn't that interesting? Did you know that that Christians are actually a benefit to unbelievers? So if you're flying in a plane with a bunch of unbelievers, they need to thank God that you're there with them. If God's going to get you to your point of destination, of course they need to freak out if God is going to decide at that moment to take you home with him. So I guess it depends on what God's going to do with your life. But but there is benefit when you have believers. You know, you see this true with uh, Joseph. God uh, blessed Potiphar because of Joseph. Uh, Tail end of the book of Genesis, you see uh, Abraham, and he's pleading with God not to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. and And God says, hey, if there's one righteous, I won't. And so when you have believers, there's a blessing, certainly, that can actually, that others that are not believers can benefit from. That's what he's talking about here. Um and so we've got the promises of God. So you've got the presence, you've got the promises of God. By the way, did you know that this book has pretty much about three to 4,000 promises? Do you know His promises in regards to you? There's a promise for every aspect of your life. Every need you have, it, it is promised in here. He has promised. He will take care of you. And then verse 25 He says, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. So he understands God. He has a relationship with God. So the person, the person, his character, presence, promises, person. Fix your eyes on God's presence, promises, person. Don't focus on the wind and the waves. And by the way, we live in a society today there's a lot of health and wealth gospel kind of stuff. And it would say, well, the reason why you're going through difficulties is because... Well, you lack faith, so you need to muster up more faith. Well, you can't do that. You don't understand what faith is. Don't try to muster up more faith. Just get to know God because He's faithful, and the more you get to know Him, the more you'll trust Him, and the better you'll weather live storms. See, the promise, His promises, promises are only as reliable as the person giving them. So the more you get to know God, how do I get more faith? Get to know God. He is faithful, and you will grow in faith. That's what Paul is talking about here. And then verses 27 through 32. We're just going to read this and then I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to let you read the rest on your own. But this is what you need to get. You need to understand this. A lot of controversy on this next one because I'm talking about the providence of God. You know, human responsibility, divine sovereignty, where does it come together? I'm going to tell you exactly what I believe that the Bible teaches in our understanding of it. Verse 27 through 32. And when the 14th Night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. By the way, a lot of geologists and archaeologists and historians have said, this is phenomenal what these guys are doing and what, how the Bible prints this. This is not legend. This is eyewitness account. So it gives credibility to the Scriptures. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape, check this out, the sailors were were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat. So they had this little lifeboat that they were lowering into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors From the the bow, stop there just for a minute. Anytime the sailors are fleeing the ship, you are in deep doo-doo, okay? That's bad. These dudes are the ones that are supposed to be sailing the ship. It's like the pilot of a plane. He's got a parachute. He's jumping out the side door. It's like, what are we doing? What are you doing? Get back over there. And so Paul said, so Paul's got this word of knowledge. He said to the centurion, or or sees it, Uh, the centurion, the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. What? He said that everybody was going to be saved in verse 22. God was going to take care of them. Now he's going to say, if these guys leave the ship, they're all going to die. We're going to die. People are going to die. What is he saying there? There's a combination of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Just because there's God's sovereignty doesn't mean you're supposed to be irresponsible. You can do whatever you want to do. He's saying you still got to be responsible. That's what he's saying here. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. He said, nope, those guys aren't going anywhere. Boop, there goes our lifeboat. Boop, see ya. So focus on, fix your eyes on God's presence, promises, person, providence. Let me talk about providence. This is how you know that you understand the providence of God. Is that as with Paul, you are calm, you are alert, but calm in storms and therefore helpful to others. In other words, if you're leaning too heavily on human responsibility, you just might as well freak out right now. If it's up to you, it's, you know, if it's going to be because it's up to me, you, you just need to, you need to be stressed out. That's what drives a lot of the fear and the phobias. And as I said, the OCDs that we have is because I've got to keep from getting sick and I've got to, uh I can't touch anybody's hand. and I, It's like, where's God's sovereignty in that? I know that you need to be responsible and wash your hands and do some stuff like that. But sometimes you've got to just trust him. You've got to trust Him. And so you can kind of know... Uh, that you, see, it, see, if your free will view, you know, believes that the historical events are, are, not de- are not determined at all, but caused by us, and so if it's going to be, it's up to me, and so I better do something here, and that's kind of the free will. That's that Arminian uh, approach. And then you've got the uh, extreme Calvinist, where, it's, where it actually turns you almost into a fatalist view, and that believes that the historical events are determined in spite of your choices. And that kind of creates this like passivity that just gives up and after a while you're just cynical. Well, what, what use is it? Can't do anything about it anyway. Both of those are wrong and that shows that you're swinging too extremely one way or the other. So in storms, you need to be responsible. You need to prepare for storms, but ultimately you have to surrender to God's sovereignty. And so you can, you can be as Paul was here. So fatalist only view, uh, you know, the fatalist only view produces indifference, passivity, and cynicism in the uh, And uh, the free will view only produces extreme fear. But here's, here's our view. Christianity believes historical events are determined by God through our choices. It's a mystery. Mysteries aren't meant to be conquered but to be celebrated. And that's one of the many mysteries of the Scripture. Christianity believes historical events are determined by God through our choices. So, you got divine sovereignty, human responsibility. Be as Paul. And Proverbs 3 5 and 6 puts it this way Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, human responsibility. Do not lean upon your own understanding, divine sovereignty. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, human responsibility, and He will direct your paths. Divine sovereignty. So which one do I push down? Whatever pedals up. It's reciprocal. It's like riding a bike. You better be pushing both of them. When the one's up, you better push it down. Otherwise, you're going to be extreme one way or the other. But if you understand sovereignty and human responsibility together, you will be alert in storm but calm and be able to help others navigate through that storm. The last one is people. He has traveling companions. And uh, Luke is writing as an eyewitness, and he's on, on there. But this Aristarchus. Verse 2 talks about he's a traveling companion. So, my question is, who are your traveling companions? And then the rest of the story, let me just read to the end. This is what happens. The boat does disintegrate underneath them, but this is how it ends. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And so it will be true about you. He will take you to the shore. He will get you to the point, your point of destination. You can trust His loving, wise control of your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment and let's pray. And those of you that are going to pass out the communion elements, if you would make your way back to the back right now, I'm going to read to you with your heads bowed, eyes closed. John Newton, who went through a number of storms, he wrote... The great hymn Amazing Grace. He wrote a number of other hymns. One was called Begone Unbelief, My Savior is Near. Listen to what he says Begone Unbelief, My Savior is Near, and for my relief will surely appear. My prayer, let me wrestle, and He will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. And so, God, I pray that that would indeed be us as we recognize that you are with us and that you will never leave us or forsake us. And God, as, as we get ready for communion this morning, we are reminded that if you took care of our worst problem, that you did not abandon us to the ultimate storm of our sin that would have separated us for all eternity from you. You took care of that for us. What makes us think that you would abandon us now? God, you won't. You will never leave us or forsake us. So, God, we thank you for that. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord, renew renew that hope and that trust and that love in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As they pass out the communion elements, just hang on to them, and I'll walk you through that. If you're not a believer, let it pass. You can become a believer this morning. Open your heart to God. Acknowledge that your sin separates you from God. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins and confess him as Lord and Savior. Turn your life over to him. Turn your life over to him. And so uh, just take a moment, reflect on what we talked about today, and I'll walk us through the process of communion. If you know that he did not abandon you in your worst, absolute worst storm, the judgment of God upon us, it was placed upon Jesus. What makes you think that he would abandon you in your lesser storms? It tells us in... Romans eight thirty one and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely give us all things? He is for you and not against you. He loves you. He will not abandon you. And so as we take communion, that's a reminder of that. You'll notice that there's two cups. Separate them. The bread is in the bottom of the first cup. Take that out. So as we take communion, we're being reminded that he did not abandon us in our worst storm because now we have his presence. He has forgiven us of our sins. He empowers us with his presence. And so he's going to take care of all of our lesser storms. But most most importantly, one of these days, he will return and still all of life's storms for all eternity. And that's the hope we have in him. Let's take this together in Jesus' name. Let's do the same with the juice. So God, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have. That when we lose all hope, when we put our eyes, fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame. Lord, we're reminded of how much you love us. And no matter how things look, we live by faith and not by sight. And So God, help us to focus on your presence, your promises, your character, your providence, and the people that you've brought alongside of us to encourage us and to help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Next week, we wrap it up. The gates of hell won't prevail. So we're going to talk about, finish the last chapter of Acts, head into a new teaching series. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, even in life's storms. And may you find unbelievable satisfaction in him because he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, even in storms. In Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. amen. God bless you.